The Near Futurist, a podcast with Guy Clapperton. Hello, and thanks for downloading The Near Futurist, a show presented by me, Guy Clapperton, and a happy new year to you if we're still saying that. It's 2020, and as people who see me speak at conferences know, something I feel very strongly about is how we're drifting towards a cashless society without noticing. So in this episode, we're going to have a look at the future of payments. First, a look at who you're listening to, or to put it another way, go and make a cup of tea for a minute. I'll finish talking about myself by then. I'm Guy Clapperton, a technology journalist, event MC, and media trainer with 30 years, actually 31 this month, but that doesn't look so tidy, so I'm going to keep saying 30 years experience. You might have heard me or seen me on the BBC occasionally, read some of my books, or seen me in The Guardian, New Statesman Tech, and elsewhere. I go to a lot of conferences and I hear experts talking about their forecasts about the decades to come. I'd rather use my 30 years experience as a commentator to discuss what's likely to happen later this year, early next, five years maximum, and the action we need to take now. So I came up with the near futurist concept. Do have a look at my website at nearfuturist.co.uk where you'll find more episodes and information on what we're about. If you'd like to book me as a speaker or MC for your technology event, do have a look at the showreel that's on the site and drop me a line, guy at nearfuturist.co.uk, that's nearfuturist as one word, or get in touch with my agent, whose details are, of course, also on the site. And if you like what you're hearing on this podcast, please do consider leaving a review on the iTunes store or wherever you download from. And if you're new to the show, of course, you're very welcome. If you're not new to the show, you're still welcome. So, let's get to the meat of the show. My guest today is a seasoned payments professional with sales and management experience across the industry, including financial institutions, processors, and networks. She loves payment innovation with a focus on instant payments and open APIs, as well as having a good understanding of the impacts of regulation. She has the ability to build and motivate sales teams quickly, and together with other women, she is leading the charge for the European Women Payments Network. She is General Manager of ACI, and she is Sylvia Mensdor-Puyi. Sylvia, welcome. Hello, and Happy New Year to you guys. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, that's going to take quickly, but the rest of it I'm sure won't. So let's pretend I just stole the introduction from your LinkedIn profile, which is my usual trick. Tell us a bit about yourself and your organization. I uh, work for ACI Worldwide. ACI Worldwide is a leader in payment technology across the globe, and we provide payment solutions to merchants, to banks, to billers, and, and to processors, um, and, and many different solutions. And if I then link that to myself, I've been in the payments industry for 20 years, actually, this um, January. I'm, I'm really, I get really excited about payments, which most people find funny, because you know most people think payments as, as a necessary evil, I actually get really excited about the payment experience. And what I love is that while we provide IT solutions, these are IT solutions that touch everyday life that I can personally experience as a consumer. And I also believe that if we improve how we pay, we can improve how society operates. One of my favorite games at conferences is to point out how we're reducing cash payments and hardly noticing. I do believe we're moving towards a cashless society. It seems to be happening almost seamlessly and smoothly. Can it really be that easy? Are there cultural changes that we need to make as well? There is a lot of differences in uh, cultural differences on how we treat cash. And as I work all across Europe, but also work a lot with companies that, that are, for example, in India or in the US or in Latin America or in Africa, 
cash is being driven out everywhere because there is a very significant cost to cash to society. That transporting cash is difficult, cash is easy to steal, cash does stay in a bad criminal activity is a possibility to to keep the black economy going. So driving towards electronic payments makes societies in general uh, more efficient. And what we're seeing, you know, the UK is a front runner in that. Uh, the Nordic countries are a front runner in that. Uh, the Netherlands, where I live, is a front runner. Is that cash is going down less and less? I actually, if I open my wallet today, there isn't a single coin or or bill in there because I I just don't use it anymore. Hmm. But but that and and that is my business, right? But the the view that I have is we move into a cashless society. There are two things as societies we need to watch out for. It's how do we deal with people that are unbanked or it's difficult for them to access electronic payment methods? How do we not marginalize that and the way I've coined it is, is, if cash is no longer king, how can we make electronic payments kind? So how, how can we still, you know, do gifts and so on? And, and the other thing we need to watch out for, and I, you may find that, is there is a drive to make payments more and more seamless. So because that's an easy user experience, now that the challenge with that is, you still know you're spending cash. Yes. That's a great thing, isn't it? I find that you know, even just something simple like turning on instant purchase on Amazon, you can get ever such a lot of books, and it doesn't feel as if you're spending money. It's uh, exactly. which is not helpful. Yeah, absolutely. So you could feel like, and 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 the challenge there, I, I I wrote a blog about it, about invisible payments and the challenges of that. It sounds like a great superpower. Right? But but if you don't feel you actually paid for something, will it at some point feel like somebody stole from you? We have these experiences with our children when they get overexcited on, on a game and suddenly start spending a lot on Fortnite. They they don't realize. So as a society, those are the two things that, that I think we need to address. How do we ensure that people realize what they're spending and, and help them manage that? How How do we not? Uh, include people that are potentially marginalized by this move. Yes, and of course the people who are marginalized are not necessarily just the uh, poverty-stricken people. Uh, I'm not in favor of ageism, but there is the classic picture of the over 50 person who is uh, uh, not as technologized as everybody else. Now I'm over 50 myself, it's nothing to do with age, it's to do with attitude. (laughs) But I I really object to that, but that's the classic picture. Um, But there are people out there who don't have internet accounts, and this idea that we've all got smartphones Mm -hmm. is actually quite a middle-class view, isn't it? Well, you know, so, so I've done quite a, a bit of research on, on those topics. And most people do have smartphones these days. Do okay. they use online banking is the question, right? Um, even if you're very, very poor, you're probably spending some of your money on a smartphone. So, so that's not so much, like, I, not so much the, the, the problem is you have the ability to actually use online banking. Now, the interesting thing you said about the aged is what we're actually finding, and there's been some research by the Dutch Payment Association, that elderly people, and I wouldn't say I'm almost 50, so I'm, I'm not going to say I'm elderly, but 
you know, people above the age of 70, for example, actually like contactless cards. Mm -hmm. And why do they like contactless cards is one usually and often they don't have to put in their pin for smaller purchases, which they struggle with. But also, you know, they tend to struggle with coins and, and with bills. So the contactless card, as long as the purchase is below 25 pounds, gives them the ability to do that without exposing the struggle they have to read or to understand what, what they're transacting. So, so that's one side of the equation. The other side is how do you get everybody to online banking and there are initiatives that, that for example, students will help elderly people to, to set that up. Uh, the online banking up and, and get everybody. So, so a lot of banks have initiatives to include the elderly in online banking. And then there's the other group that doesn't have a bank account. And, and that's the real struggle. How do you get those to actually be able to have access to, to banking and to electronic transactions? This is very difficult. And these are very important questions. Uh, do you, it may be unfair to put you on the spot, but do you act, are there any semblances of answers starting to come out? I mean, yeah. You know, I think a great example globally to, to get people banned is India. In India, is the government is driving a, a project to drive cash out and give everybody a bank account. And they've been very, very successful successful with that. And I feel like if India can do this with the massive population they've got and that and the poverty and, and even, you know, illiteracy that India has in, in its population, then everybody should be able to do it. It just takes conviction. What we have and I think where the struggle is in in, in countries like the UK or the Netherlands or the US is it is almost assumed that you have a bank account. It is assumed that you're literate um, and, and that just is not the case. So there what you find um, is there are some examples, for example, in Sweden where homeless people are given an account, but that account is they're helped to manage that account. And then they're even given the ability to, um, to provide, provide a QR code so that they, there can be payments into that account. So those are great initiatives, but the problem with some of that is also how much control do people feel about that. It's not, that, that is not, there is no easy answer and society really needs to spend a lot of thought into how to do Yes, that. and I think in many ways it's got to be, it's got to come from the government because it's got to be central, but it's also got to be politically neutral because you can't have another government reversing it in uh, uh, in a few years time and also uh, you, it, it mustn't be tied I think to um, to trust in individual politicians uh, last month we elected Boris Johnson as Prime Minister I'll just leave that there uh, but you know there, there is this idea that uh, you know if you get someone there who you can't stand and you're they're suddenly telling you how to operate your money and that you need a bank account you must have a bank account there are those trust issues as well aren't there Absolutely. There is a, a lot that needs, needs to happen and how do we get people banked now? I think there is a responsibility by the government. There is, you know, there is a driver to take cash out that, that is a cost benefit to society. Some of that needs to be reinvested. And then I think every party has the responsibility to take.
banks have a responsibility in helping there. And I think a lot of corporates have, you know, have the willingness to come out with, with solutions there. And then there was another side, which I always think about in, in the UK, I've figured this out pretty well. So if I pay a bill, I used to, I paid my way through university uh, waitressing, and obviously you depend a lot on tips. And uh, in in the UK, you can easily add a tip on a point of sale mostly. Uh, in many other countries, when you're paying with your card, if you don't say beforehand, please add this amount of tip, then that opportunity is gone. And you either have to do a separate transaction or you have to have cash. I never have cash. And what I find more and more is that on smaller purchases like a, a coffee or or something small, you almost don't leave a tip anymore because before that you you left a small tip. So I think there was a huge opportunity for the payment industry to come up with some 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 nice more generic solutions uh, for tipping and 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 giving uh, because again those are people that depend on on that money and the cash just isn't there anymore. I think also there's a whole uh, back-end process there of uh, whether the waiter or waitress uh, actually gets the tip if you add it to the bill or whether uh, it goes yeah. straight into the uh, <clears throat> into the corporate coffers or is distributed around some of the other staff like the people who actually lay the, uh, the tables out, et cetera, et cetera. Those are, uh, you know, those are valid yeah. reasons for, uh, for that. But I think there's a whole cultural issue there. Yeah. Another thing I've seen happening Absolutely. in terms of payments, mm-hmm. the way things are changing, is there's this move towards scan and pay. They've just started that near where I live um, in Sainsbury's. Sorry, I don't live mm-hmm. in Sainsbury's, but there's a, a British supermarkets <laughs> are starting to, I yeah. might as well live in Sainsbury's, mm-hmm. a British uh, market, supermarkets are starting to have this scan and pay thing. And indeed in the US, there are um, shops by Amazon where you can pick up items in the store. It detects them through NFC as you walk out. and Payment is deducted from your bank account automatically. I'm just wondering whether these things make people's lives easier or whether you could foresee a time where people would just, as we said earlier, not think they're spending money because you just walked out of the shop with an item. And no, you might not have bought those out of the Bluetooth speakers if you actually had to think about keying in a number to pay for it. But as it's just walking out, it's easier. This is all this idea that you make people's lives easier by, you know, basically making the payment as smooth into the customer journey as you can, and thereby almost making it invisible. Mm. Now, um, one of the terms used in the payment industry is, you know, let's make payments frictionless. And the way I think about it is, I think payments need to be frictioned right. And what I mean by that is the higher the amount, the more of a strong yes I want to buy this and I'm conscious that I'm spending money needs to come from the person that is making that purchase. So if you're kind of taking out uh, a sandwich and it's three pounds and you're in a hurry or Sainsbury's or Amazon has come up with, it's awesome. Yeah. Mm. But if you're buying uh, a hundred pound speaker, then there, there should be a very active yes, I am doing this purchase, an affirmation uh, from yourself. And then the other thinking process that, that, that there is, is, is there is um, how consecutive are the payments? So, you know, we talked about um, children not realizing that they're spending uh, on Fortnite, for example. 
um, <laughs> I've, you know, you, you have these rings that you can now put on that allow you to, to uh, tap and pay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've laughingly said uh, to the people that developed the ring is, why don't you put a little electroshock in that ring? The higher the purchase. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and I buy those for my kids because that's one of the things that I'm also as a mother concerned about is how do I teach children, my children, uh, uh, the value of money. Mm. And if you think about an exchange, which any purchase is, you're exchanging money for goods. When that is a physical exchange of money, yeah, it, it makes that purchase much more conscious. Um, and, and you know what, you know how little children are, right? I, I, I laughed with my daughter once, you know, she had a, a 10 euro bill and she paid for something. She got lots of coins back and in her mind, she had more than what she started with. Yes. Yeah. Because she was small. Now, now because that, that physical of cash is completely disappearing, how do you teach children to be conscious? of a purchase is actually an exchange and money doesn't, you know, grow on trees and just come out of ATMs and, you know, it, there, there is work that needs to come there. And all of those things are things that as a society we should think about, you know, how to make citizens more financially savvy because you end up with people that are in debt by the time they're 18. Yes, I think that's valid. And that's assuming they've got an income of some sort. I mean, let's also look at the other extreme. I was at my local train station a few evenings ago, and a young woman was asking for change. She was asking very vehemently. I suspect she was unwell. It was quite distressing. Many people just turned away. But nowadays, even people who want to help may not have cash with them. You just said that your wallet is, your purse is frequently empty. Mm -hmm. And you can't say to these people, do take contactless payments, because that's just insulting. Uh, Although if you go to some of the buskers in Covent Garden, they do indeed take uh, contactless in London. I'm just wondering how this is going to work in a cashless society. We have a magazine in the UK, it's called The Big Issue, and I'm sure there are many equivalents around uh, Europe and around the US and elsewhere, uh, which is aimed at training homeless people to sell these things, Uh, this magazine. It's a professionally produced magazine. Now, if you actually want to buy one of those, for the moment, they will still take cash, and cash is something I no longer carry. So I'm actually damaging their business just by taking part in society. Is there a way around this, yeah. do you think? Those, those things are, are coming. So you mentioned, you know, some of that, and I recently was, was in Covent Garden, some of the, the, the musicians around actually uh, take QRC payments. Mm. And, um, for example, in, in the Netherlands, the homeless newspaper has developed uh, a cashless tap point and there's a warm jacket that comes with that and, and, and people can tap their card and get, get the issue. But that, that is still very, very, um, you know, pocketed. What, what is coming is the ability to do much easier peer-to-peer payments so that somebody that is in distress can be helped. You know, my, my easy answer to that, if you really truly want to help somebody in there is genuine, you know, take the time, go to an ITM and find the cash or go into a store, uh, do a contactless purchase and ask for cash back. I recently had, had a, a sad experience where I felt, you know, I want to do something for some homeless person that was bagging. I ended up going into Sainsbury's and actually buying something, uh, food. 
but we need to find a solution for that and but and until those people have access to a bank account and then an easy way for all of us to actually put money in that bank account that's going to be a struggle so one is giving everybody a bank account and then the other is you know how can we easily put the money in now through instant payments uh faster payments in the uk and and some of the developments around uh person-to-person payments that that we're seeing that putting money into somebody's account on the go through QR codes is going to become a lot easier. And you can see some of those examples where the government and 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 banks need to take responsibility and band together with non-for-profits is making sure that everybody's got access to bank accounts. Yes, I wonder if banks themselves are going to have to change in some way, because the first thing they always ask for is, of course, an address and proof of address. Now, that's for security reasons and money laundering purposes. That's entirely right. But if you are homeless, that's something you're not necessarily going to be able to help with. And if you're homeless and mentally ill or with a learning disability or something, you may well not have the... not have the wherewithal to appreciate the importance of what you're actually being asked there. It's, it's the it yeah. colossal cultural changes that this is bringing around, isn't it? It, it is. I think that the regulator and the banks and non-for-profits coming together, seeking solutions there, because obviously the banks, as you rightly said, are required by law to gather this information. They're not allowed to step outside of that. Now then the regulator needs to step in with non-for-profits and there are solutions, right? That, that that can be found around those those things. It just takes push from society to get it done. Indeed. Because otherwise we're not, you know, we cannot consciously go to a cashless society because that will, you know, that last 10% will never fix. And, yep. and we're marginalizing people further that are already marginalized. And then that, that, you know, the way electronic payments are going is great for everybody as an industry, that is something that we need to be conscious of. Yes, I think it's a, it's always a danger that you end up being really good for everybody who's already in the system or who can uh, can handle the system. And I think you're right to highlight those issues mm-hmm. of the other people. Something else I would like to ask you about. Uh, in the intro, I did mention uh, that you're leading the charge for the European Women Payments Network. There's always an issue about uh, women in uh, in senior roles. Uh, I write a lot about uh, technology and uh, the women in technology movement uh, uh, is strong. It's 2020. Why is there still an issue? Yeah, that's a, a really good question. And, and you know, my, my children ask me this. They're, they're always surprised by it. You know, I think the first thing that we all need to agree on is there is an issue. Yeah, I, I oftentimes get into discussions around the pay gap and then people say, oh, yeah, the pay gap is because women work less or because women are in less paid jobs. The pay gaps that are calculated are actually calculated on, on the basis of equal pay for equal work and taking into account lesser pay. So that is a, a, a net pay gap. And and that one of the, the biggest issues I've learned, this is my personal opinion, I think is around maternity leave. Mm. You know, I have three children, I've gone on maternity leave three times. That takes you out of your career for a considerable amount of time. That same thing doesn't happen for men. And not because in my generation, men don't want it. They just don't have the same rights. 
what we see in countries where maternity and paternity leave are equalized, the pay gap reduces right. very, very quickly. So you, you're looking at places like Iceland and, and the Nordics, for example. So I think as a society, that, that is a very important part. And then in terms of inclusion and discrimination, I think we all need to be very, very conscious of our subconscious biases. I think it takes both women and men to make sure that inclusion happens, that, that, that women don't feel excluded, that we women include women as much as possible, but that we also find and work with men. And, and the other thing, and this is why I'm involved in the European Women Payments Network, you know, this is an important topic, but it is a topic that we can do together with men and we may also make it fun to resolve, right? It's one of the challenges we've got left and resolving challenges are fun. And just creating a podium for, for women to show the knowledge that they have and, and to be in a safe environment where they can strut that and helping people realize that you know, women in general, I'm generalizing, maybe communicating in a different way than men, that doesn't mean that their abilities are less. And so we need to be very conscious of that. It's a passion of mine in the payment industry, still, especially on the technology side, I'm all, all very often the only woman in the, in the room. Uh, but I'm, I'm happy to see that the, the younger generations are quickly, quickly catching up. So I want to make sure I I support those those women. Well, the, the great thing that I wanted to say is that you think I, I work for ICI. I've been working for ICI quite a, a long time now. Uh, and one of the things that I like about our company is that we have quite a lot of women in, in senior positions, also on the, on the technology uh, side. Um, we have a lady leading our product development organization, which is half of of the ACI uh, business. Uh, we have a lady leading one of our P&Ls. We have a very significant number of women in our board of directors. And if you're a smart corporate, then you're gonna look for inclusivity because there is lots of studies that show that inclusivity and diversity drive innovation and are actually good for profit. So, I don't need a study to tell me that looking at the whole talent pool rather than half of it is probably not a bad idea when you're recruiting. <laughs> that, that just seems common sense. Final question really, what, where can listeners find out more about you and uh, what you do and indeed the, uh, the Women Payments Network? If you go onto my LinkedIn profile, so we are on LinkedIn, you will find a lot of the things that I'm involved with. My Twitter handle is uh, Sylvia Mentorf, uh, and I tweet uh, quite quite a bit, um, so you will find all the things that I do there. And then for the European Women Payments Network, go on to Twitter and LinkedIn, and it's there under EWPN. Uh, you can also go to EWPN.eu. Uh, becoming a member is free of charge. We have lots of local meetups across Europe that you can participate in and we're organizing our annual conference at the end of September in Amsterdam so uh, everybody's welcome is welcome there and then obviously if you go on to ACIWorldwide.com uh, you can find all the wonderful things that ACI does 
uh, in, to enable payments uh, payments across the, the globe. And uh, lucky to say, you know, there's always something new to do in payments and a new exciting frontier to cross. Sylvia Mensdor-Puy, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you, Guy. And many thanks to you for listening. That was the Near Futurist podcast with me, Guy Clapperton. Don't forget to have a look at the website at nearfuturist.co.uk. I'll be back in two weeks' time. Goodbye.